Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to an all-new episode of Cold Case Files on the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lease. Today, we're just diving into the unsolved murder of Amy Gellert. A masked man attacked her parents before stabbing her to death in her driveway. Welcome to an all-new season of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. This season, we dive into the most horrific unsolved murders in history. From the Black Dahlia murder to the unsolved murder of the Lady of the Dunes. Join us every Tuesday on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we thank you for listening. This episode of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast is sponsored by Hunter Killer. Visit huntakiller.com and use promo code TCNS for 20% off your first box. Now let's get into the case. When Bob and Bunny Letton arrived at their Cocoa Beach, Florida home on the evening of March 20th, 1994, they walked into a nightmare. As they walked through their front door, they were startled to find that they weren't alone in their house. A masked intruder brandishing a dagger and a gun was standing in their kitchen. The man immediately bound and gagged Bob and Bunny and ordered them to get on their knees and crawl from the kitchen to the living room. The terrified couple quickly complied. Once the intruder had herded the couple into their living room, he ordered them to lie down on the floor. For the next 30 minutes, the man held Bob and Bunny hostage in their own home. Although he demanded cash at one point, robbery didn't seem to be his primary motive. Bunny was wearing several pieces of expensive jewelry, and there were valuables in plain sight throughout the house. But the man made no attempt to take anything. The man appeared to be waiting for someone. He kept glancing at the clock as he paced back and forth in the living room. Hoping to play, placate the man, Bunny told him that she had $50 in her wallet. The intruder took the cash and some of her credit cards, but then resumed his nervous pacing. 
Bob and Bunny weren't sure what to think. Although the man never loosened his grip on the weapons he was carrying, he wasn't acting overtly hostile. The couple made several attempts at engaging him in conversation in the hopes that he would tell them what he wanted, but he simply ignored them as they offered him money, jewelry, and their car keys. He just kept pacing. About a half hour after the ordeal began, headlights flashed across the front of the house as Bunny's daughter, Amy Gellert, pulled into the driveway. Her arrival appeared to agitate the intruder. As soon as he heard her car, something in him snapped. Without warning, he attacked Bob and Bunny with the dagger he was holding. The masked man stabbed Bob once in the head, then turned his attention to Bunny. Stabbing her numerous times in her neck and lower back. Terrified that Amy was about to walk in and become a third victim, Bob staggered to his feet and managed to make his way to the front door. He raced outside, yelling for Amy to run and get help. Unfortunately, the intruder was only a few steps behind Bob. He burst out the front door and immediately attacked Amy as she got out of the car. Amy tried to shield herself with a knapsack she was carrying, but the cloth bag was no match for the man's dagger. He stabbed her repeatedly in her head and neck but he must have realized that Amy's screams were likely going to attract attention. Just as said, suddenly as the attack started, it was over. The man raced off down the street and disappeared into the darkness. Amy managed to stumble across the street to the parking lot of a condominium complex, where she pleaded with a woman to call for help. Gasping for air, Amy told the woman she had been stabbed, then collapsed to the ground. The horrified woman yelled for someone to call the cops, then tried to comfort Amy, but it was too late. Amy was dead. Police were at the scene within minutes. Bob and Bunny were rushed to a nearby hospital, where they would spend several weeks recovering from their wounds. When they learned that Amy had been killed, they were devastated. The Brevard County Sheriff's Office was stunned by Amy's murder, which had taken place in a quiet, upscale neighborhood with a low crime rate. They struggled to determine the motive behind the vicious blitz attack, which had seemingly occurred at random. Up until the time they were confronted by the armed intruder, it had been a perfectly routine Sunday for Bob and Bunny. The couple attended the evening service at Calvary Church on Merritt Island, as they did every Sunday. 21-year-old Amy had also attended the service, but had met her mom and stepfather there. She had recently been given Bunny's old convertible and had wanted to drive it to church with the top down. Bob and Bunny had left church as soon as the service ended, but Amy had remained behind. She was in charge of operating the soundboard during church services, so she stayed late so she could make sure that everything was properly put away. She had told her parents that she wouldn't be long and would see them back at the house. No one in the family could have anticipated what was waiting for them at home. Residents of Cocoa Beach were horrified by the brutal attack. The idea that there could be a deranged killer on the loose in their neighborhood shattered their illusion of safety, and there was a lot of pressure on the Brevard County Sheriff's Office to make a quick arrest. For detectives, finding Amy's killer was their number one priority, but they had a little to go on. The murderer had been wearing a black ski mask over his face, so Bob and Bunny had no idea what he looked like. They had been able to tell that he was white from a little bit of skin that had been visible around the eye holes of his mask. They believed he was in his 20s, and about 5 feet 8 inches tall, with a medium build, wearing a black top, black pants, and white shoes. 
He'd also been wearing a pair of black knit gloves. Presumably so he wouldn't leave any fingerprints behind. Bunny told investigators that the man had been somewhat soft-spoken, and he had what she described as a pronounced northeastern accent, as if he were from Maryland or Pennsylvania. Neither she nor Bob recognized the voice, and they were certain that the killer was not someone they knew. Although the killer had spent a substantial amount of time in Bob and Bunny's house, he left no trace of himself behind. With no description, no fingerprints, no DNA, investigators had their work cut out for them. Their luck changed somewhat when they moved their investigation outside the house, in the driveway, near the blue knapsack Amy had used in an attempt to protect herself, investigators discovered the magazine of a handgun. In his haste to escape, the murderer must not have realized that he had dropped it. Detectives determined that the magazine had come from a stage gun, a Brixia 9mm handgun used mainly in theater productions. Although the man had brandished the gun as if it were real, it was nothing more than a prop. This explained why all of his victims had been stabbed and not shot. Knowing that such a gun was relatively rare, investigators were hopeful that it would lead them to their killer. Unfortunately, it turned out to be a dead end. A check with local theater companies came up empty, and detectives eventually decided that the killer had likely stolen the gun at some point. Although they made several appeals to the public, no one came forward to admit ever owning such a gun. Its original owner remains unknown. Investigators were able to obtain DNA from the gun magazine. They checked this against all criminal DNA databases without result. They have been cautious about using this DNA to rule out suspects, however, as they aren't sure if it actually belongs to the killer. It's possible it belongs to someone who possessed the gun before the murder. Shortly after the murder took place, a homeless man found several of Bunny's credit cards near Cape Canaveral Hospital in Cocoa Beach. He turned them in at a nearby bank, and the bank manager alerted police. They were the credit cards that had been taken by the killer. But by the point police obtained them, they had been handled by too many people to be of any forensic use to the investigation. Bob and Bunny told detectives that the killer had appeared to be waiting for someone, perhaps a person who was going to give him a ride. Working on the assumption that the killer had arranged for a getaway driver who later bailed on him, officials announced that they would be willing to cut a deal with this driver if they would come forward. They got no response. Some investigators believed that Amy was the target of the killer, and he was waiting for her to return home from church. It's a viable theory, especially considering the fact that her arrival was a catalyst for the brutal attack on Bob and Bunny. The killer had been relatively calm until Amy's car pulled into the driveway. It soon became apparent that there wasn't going to be a quick arrest in this case. Although detectives followed up on hundreds of different tips, they were unable to develop any solid leads in the months that followed the murder. They admitted that they were still struggling to determine if the crimes had been a home invasion that went terribly wrong or something more sinister, and they feared that the killer's trail was growing cold. Over the years, detectives considered about a dozen potential suspects, but ended up eliminating most of them. Thank you for listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Follow us on Twitter at True Crime NS. Like us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps. Send us a voice message at anchor.fm slash true crime never sleeps slash message. Tune in next week. 
for an all-new episode. Saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save money. 